0: Hallelujah, hallelujah. We get to sing a few of those on Easter. And thanks to that Leonard Cohen song, many people have been able to sing hallelujahs throughout the year. How many of you knew that song before today? Just raise your yeah. hand. It has become wildly and widely popular since Leonard Cohen wrote it in 1984. Covered by dozens of artists and singers from a wide variety of genres, from John Cale to Willie Nelson to Justin Timberlake to K.D. Lane. Showing up on soundtracks from the movie Shrek to the TV series Ugly Betty. And performed at important events from the 2010 Benefit for victims of the earthquake in Haiti to the 2013 tribute honoring the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing. It is not a stretch to say that it has become something of a spiritual anthem for the current age, speaking meaningfully to a wide variety of people in a wide variety of circumstances. It speaks to people. So what is it saying? Now I know that it's a song, so some of what is speaking to people is, of course, the music itself. And there are also lyrics, verses, and a chorus, words. What do they say? That became a very interesting and more complex question than I may have expected. First of all, which words? You will notice that the words from the song included in the reading were not included in the song the choir sang. You may have noticed that the words sung by the choir are not always included in the recorded versions you may have heard. Many of the recordings have lyrics that were not included in either the reading or the choir's piece. So to ask how the song speaks to us must depend in part on which lyrics we've heard. I found that it is said that Leonard Cohen wrote some 80 verses for this song. And the choir will be doing all of those next (laughs) week. (laughs) 80 verses, only about 14 have been performed and or recorded in a variety of configurations by Cohen himself And other artists. Some, which you have not heard today, continue the biblical allusions begun in the first verse, referring to King David and to Samson from the Hebrew scriptures. Some explore the more personal story of love and loss, mixing the sensual and sexual with the spiritual. All are pointed toward this chorus that is at once poignant and pensive and powerful. Asked what his song meant, Cohen said, This world is full of conflicts and full of things that cannot be reconciled. But there are moments when we can reconcile and embrace the whole mess. And that's what I mean by hallelujah. And at this point, on this Easter Sunday, about five minutes into the sermon, looking at the cover of your order of service and the title emblazoned there, I fully expect you to be asking yourself, but with a question that is directed really toward your minister, so what about Jesus? This. Hallelujah. A contemporary song a composer who was alive less than three years ago, a performer who was accessible to interviewers and researchers and biographers. And yet, individual experiences and interpretations of this song are just that, individual. Where you first heard this and what verses you heard may deeply influence your experience of it. It is tempting And indeed, I am tempted to argue for an official version of this song to make a case that the version I originally heard performed by John Cale is the real version, to argue that without certain connecting links, it doesn't hold the power that it could have, I was convinced, in fact, that Cohen had a single version in mind, that he would be able to clear things up. But then I found that he performed it himself in a variety of configurations, that he indeed wrote the verses that I suspected may have been counterfeit, that my view of this song, while meaningful to me, does not hold any more authenticity or purity than someone else's version. And that I can still cherish the fact that it is meaningful to me. Now consider Jesus, an ancient figure, a prophet who lived more than 2,000 years ago, a rabbi, teacher who wrote nothing down and lived far from the seats of power, with accounts of his life and teachings similar to one another in some instances and incongruous and others, recorded many years after his death. It is tempting for many to search out, and indeed many have argued for an official version of the story of Jesus, to make a case that the version they have received is the real version, to argue that without paying attention to the passages that are most important to them, the story doesn't hold the power that it could have. They are convinced, in fact, that God had a single version in mind, though there are four separate Gospels in the Orthodox canon of Christian scriptures and a number of other Gnostic Gospels outside the canon. And the story of Jesus is told in a variety of configurations within those Gospels. (coughs) Excuse me. And think of the many portraits of Jesus that have arisen since the Gospels. Think of the religious strife that has ensued throughout the centuries in the attempt to establish orthodox doctrine regarding Jesus. Think of the intense, wide-ranging, and ongoing scholarly debate that engages the question, Who do you say that I am? Think of the millions, billions of pages that have been covered with attempts to answer that question definitively, the battles that have raged over differences, the lives that have engaged every nuance. Now, I find the wealth of interpretations fascinating, exciting, enriching, but also somewhat confusing, As I consider Jesus' relatively simple question, who do you say that I am? We would like to believe that the closer we get to the time and place in which Jesus existed, the easier it will be to find an answer. The search for the historical Jesus and the work of the Jesus Seminar is part of that attempt. Others say the historical Jesus is unimportant. It is the Christ of faith that matters. Still others retell the story of Jesus from a particular vantage point, seizing upon particular aspects of his ministry to render him a socialist, a Buddhist teacher, a women's rights advocate. It has been pointed out that the Jesus that emerges from these portraits, mysteriously enough, matches the philosophies of the authors who write the books. Still others write him off as just one of many religious fanatics who thought he was God and predicted incorrectly the imminent end of the world. And yet, it's been 2,000 years and the question still rings out. Who do you say that I am? Why do I think the question matters? Understand that just as there was a diversity of opinion about Jesus in his own time, I fully understand that there is a diversity of opinion within this congregation. Those of you who may claim Christianity is an important source for your own spiritual understanding, (coughs) for whom the life and teachings of Jesus are important, in your own personal journeys have developed a variety of interpretations, And there are those for whom questions about Jesus are simply not relevant. You would not declare Christianity to be a source for your own personal understanding of life and your place in it, nor do you particularly care about Jesus' teachings, except as they may overlap with the wise counsel of many spiritual and secular teachers throughout history. So why this sermon? A couple reasons. First, I think we should be aware of the fact that the answer to this question about the identity of Jesus was pivotal in the history of both Unitarianism and Universalism. Unitarianism rejecting the notion that Jesus was somehow of two natures, Celebrated the full humanity of Jesus, seeing his life as a model and his teachings as beautifully resonating with the truth that resides within each of us. The truth that only awaits such an expression to be recognized. Universalism celebrated the love that Jesus taught and displayed in his life and affirmed that such a love was available to all and embraced the whole of creation. Now, even these roots are no longer comprehensively descriptive nor in any way prescriptive for Unitarian Universalism as a whole in the present time. But I think that we can be rightly proud of these twin traditions that unabashedly celebrated the life and teachings of Jesus and the inclusiveness of his message, most especially in this present time when a disturbing number of self-described Christian organizations no longer want to focus on the life and teachings of Jesus and seem intent on drawing a circle that leaves people out. And the other reason I wanted to do this sermon is that beyond specific religious beliefs, The figure and story of Jesus is ubiquitous in this culture. It is spilled well outside any particular church to find its way into every type of artistic, political, and societal expression we have. Whatever we might take from it individually, there is little doubt that people have been drawn to it, wrestled with it, and often found meaning in it over many centuries. And returning to where we started, there will be those who tell you that the way you approach it or the meaning you find in it or the interpretation you have of it is not the correct one, not the real one, not the original. I am inviting you, if you are drawn to do so, And again, I realize not all of us are drawn to do so, but I invite those for whom this story is captivating or inspiring or challenging or meaningful to explore and decide for yourself what it means to you. Not only the story of Jesus, but specifically the story of Easter. With our historically based focus on the life and teachings of Jesus, what can we Unitarian Universalists make of the Christian celebration of Easter? The story of Easter is not a simple story. Hallelujah is not a simple song. It's not a simple story of defeat or of triumph but a paradoxical blend of both. It is a complicated mixture of religion and politics and oppression and liberation and betrayal and faithfulness and loss and victory and very human loss in the face of death. Consider, even if it is true that Jesus was resurrected in glory, the followers of Jesus have still lost the daily companionship and physical presence of a dear friend. That's what came to me through that Foz retelling. Loss in the face of death and hope in the ongoing struggle of life. It is a human story and one that does not have a simple moral. The message of Easter is not a trivial one, we may approach it from a variety of Directions, and we may reject the accuracy of the details of the stories in the gospel entirely. But I think it would be a shame if we ignored the power of a piece of its message that in the depths of despair, a new day can arise. Retired Episcopal bishop and author John Shelby Spong points out that Easter for him is not a specific event but rather Easter describes that something that happened between the crucifixion when the apostles had utterly abandoned Jesus to Pentecost when they came back together empowered to take up the cause of Jesus in the face of persecution and martyrdom. The strength of their conviction was such that no threat or fear could now separate them from the God they believed they had met in Jesus. He writes, in Jesus for the non-religious. What is it that you and I could proclaim with such conviction? What is it that has revived you when it feels like you are entombed in despair? What is the burning coal that can provide warmth for a cold, desperate world? What is it that assures us, even when our very breath is being squeezed out of us by the pain of broken relationships, failure, anger, sickness, what is it that assures us that abundant life awaits us still if we but take another step? What causes us to sing even when we are feeling cold and our voices crack like ice? What allows us to reconcile and embrace the whole mess? What calls us to courageously, even when it feels like it's all gone wrong, to courageously stand before the Lord of song with nothing on our tongues but hallelujah? Do not hesitate to bring your broken hallelujah here. We all bring some broken things, songs and dreams and long lost hopes. But here and together we reach within. As a community we begin again and from the pieces we will build something new. As we celebrate Easter today, pull from the ancient stories whatever is meaningful or leave them behind. But I invite you to take this opportunity to return to your own source of hope and passion and compassion, that source that even death cannot contain.